May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Pat Cummings is the wife of a retired minister. She's a wonderful person, um, kind and gracious. She's also the mother of um, a good friend of mine, so she has that going for her too. And when I first visited the African continent some 15 years ago or so to Mozambique, um, Pat and Wayne Cummings went along on the trip. It was a work trip, a mission trip, and so there's a big group of us that traveled, and, and we did everything together. We traveled by, by plane and by bus, and we ate together, and we worked together, and we witnessed the same sort of things together. We were in close proximity to one another for a good long time, better part of almost a month. And um, I noticed something about Pat on that trip that I had not noticed heretofore, um, and that was that Pat is a hummer. By that I mean she likes to hum. Um, you know, you notice things about people, don't you? Um, it wasn't though like she would hum songs. She didn't hum songs. She would just hum like a random note. Hmm. And then she might have a pause and do another one. Hmm. And I would cut onto this, and I I, I I began to believe that she picked up this sort of habit as a kind of a stress reliever. It kind of caused me stress, though. I mean, while she was relieving it, it was sort of adding a burden to me. I felt like you should hum a song, row, row, row your boat, you know. Mary had a little lamb, victory in Jesus. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. I don't care. Hum whatever you want to hum, but make it a song, you know, not just these sort of random notes. Um, but that's what she did. And so I learned two things that, that Pat liked to hum. And that I'm somewhat exasperated by random humming um, is one of those things. And I thought how fascinating it is that music holds such an important part in sort of the, uh, uh, the human experience. We like to sing. We like music. Um, I don't know how musical you are. I'm not very musical at all. Uh, I tried playing violin when I was a child and a couple random um, piano lessons. Like every teenage boy, I picked up a guitar once or twice. But I'm just not disciplined enough um, and to stay with it and to learn and to become, you know, a, a, a skilled musician. But I still like it, you know. Still have radio, listening in the car, and stereos at home, and when I run, I put earbuds in and listen to songs. Um, even unskilled people like me can appreciate it. We live in the shadow of some really great music. Severance Hall, one of the one of the world famous uh, uh, places for for orchestra and for music. Um, Blossom and and E.J. Thomas, another other great places. If you're a little grittier like me, we have um, uh, you know, Beachland Ballroom or the House of Blues. You know, there are other great places to kind of catch music. And I thought even in the worst times, even in humanity's lowest times, we still sing. We still find ways to make music. Even Israel, in the, the, the most difficult time of their existence as a nation, when the Babylonians came in, destroyed the country, and took people literally captive. I mean, could you imagine if, like, um, the city of Hudson was, was invaded and they gathered up all the people into the square and they, they took away our homes and property and everything, and this, all you had was a clothes on your back, and then they put you in chains and, and, you know, marched you to, you know, I don't know, to Massachusetts, and uh, you're moving that far away. You have nothing. This is what happened to Israel and even then they wrote songs. I want to read you one of them. It's the 137th Psalm. I'm just going to read part of it. 
And it goes like this. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs. And our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? I love this psalm because it's a song that sings about not singing. It's like a total irony, right? How can we sing? Yet they are. It's a sad song. I used to, um, when I would teach undergrads the Bible, I used to put on some bluesy music, you know, boom, 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 you know, something like that. And then I would read it while this music was playing by the rivers of Babylon. Boom, boom, boom. There we sat down. This is the way this song is to be sung. It's, it's sad. It's miserable. It's low. But even then, it's a song. I remember uh, when my boys were little, I used to, um, I would bring them into my study and I would put on some blues. And I would say, listen to this music. This is the blues. Now, you're not allowed to listen to this anywhere else or ever again, at least not now, because your lives are too easy. You cannot appreciate this. You, you've got it made. Now, get out of here and let me listen to this. You know, and this is what I would do. You do this. The music that is being felt, and that's the way the blues are, and this is even in Israel's lowest time, they're singing songs. Today, twice, we heard a different kind of song. A happy song, a magnificent song. It's the song of Mary, the Magnificat. And it's this song that's rejoicing. And, and you know the backstory, right? This young woman, Mary, has an angel who comes to her, says, you are going to have a child. And she says, how is that possible? I'm a virgin. He says, it's going to be a miracle of the Holy Spirit. You're going to name him Yeshua because he will save his people from their sins. Yeshua in Hebrew, Yahweh saves. In Greek, Jesus, which comes out in English, Jesus. You'll name him Yeshua because he will save his people from their sins. Luke says that during Mary's pregnancies that she travels down to visit her, her aunt Elizabeth. And while she's there, that Elizabeth, who's also pregnant in a miraculous fashion, she's not um, the same way, but she's well past her childbearing age. And she starts to have, uh, she ha well, she has a uh, pregnancy. She, she ends up having a child. And Mary and Elizabeth meet, and Luke says that Elizabeth exclaimed that the baby leapt inside of her when, he, when she saw Mary. Now the difficulty with both of these miracle pregnancies and, and the context is that we are so far removed sociopolitically. We're so far out of that world that we really can't feel the sort of excitement and the reason for this. We know a little bit about world difficulties. But we know most of them from history. Like even war. We know most about war. Even Americans, we've been at war, goodness, how many times it seems like, all the time. But wars are always fought somewhere else for Americans, aren't they? It's always uh, Korea or Vietnam. It's Normandy or Berlin. It's, 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 it's Iraq or Afghanistan. But for Mary and for Elizabeth, and for the people of Israel, it was there. It was in the neighborhood. It was right in their face. And now they're living with Roman occupation. And every day these women would see these soldiers who were strong and violent and unpredictable. And there they are in their neighborhoods, on their streets, in their towns. The Romans were hated. And it was very difficult life for them. 
And for the Jews, this became particularly problematic because the Jews had a belief that they had read through the Bible on all the pages that they were God's segulah in Hebrew, his special treasure. Is this how you treat your special treasure? You allow them to be ruled over by these other countries and now the brutal Romans. Now hear this announcement to Mary. You're going to have a baby and you shall name him Yeshua for he will save his people. This isn't about some immaterial soul that I'm coming to. He's going to deliver Israel from the Romans. He's coming to bring deliverance. And now Mary starts to sing. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The one who's coming to bring real salvation to a people who are oppressed. And she praises God. Why? What has he done? What has happened? Do you hear us? He has shown his mercy on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. Listen to this. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the powerful. He has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. Whoa, 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 whoa. Mary still has to walk home from Elizabeth's house, right? Right past those same Roman guards, the soldiers. She has to walk past all of the, the signs of brutality. An empire whose emblems are, are, are punishment and that they're going to extort resources from the poor and the lowly. And yet she sings as if she's already been delivered from it. He has done these things already. Some people have said that the entire Gospel of Luke is a commentary on this song. And I'm not sure they would be that far off. This is what God is doing in Jesus. He's scattering the proud. He is bringing down the powerful. He is tearing down their thrones. He's filling the hungry with good things. And we even see it in the rich young ruler. Rich are set away empty. This is what he's done. But there's always a tension of the not yet, right? There's always the sense in which it's happened, but not all the way. And yet Mary lives as if it already has. She believes it. And do you know why? Because there's a baby inside of her. And she knows this baby is going to be the one who saves the world. And she believes it. And she lives by faith. And everyone else who wants to be righteous will do the same thing. We will believe. Even in spite of all the difficulties around us, we will believe that God has delivered us. Why? Because there's a baby coming. And he's coming tomorrow night. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.